0: This is SG2 Perspectives, a conversation with SG2 experts and industry thought leaders about the biggest trends in healthcare and what we expect that's going to mean for the future of healthcare delivery. The private equity model doesn't have to play by the same rules as the health systems. They can pay more for the practice. They can use traditional business valuation principles that don't have to follow Stark and anti-kickback. don't have to fit within that framework.
1: Welcome to SG2 Perspectives. I am your host, Jamie Zage. 2022 and 2021 were years with a lot of activity around physician practice acquisition, including an estimated 38% increases in practices that are corporately owned. We are here today to discuss how much longer this accelerated pace of activity can continue, what this streak means for health systems as they navigate their continuously shifting physician alignment strategies. Joining me today are two of my colleagues from SG2's Physician Enterprise Consulting Practice, Mike Straleski, a Senior Principal and Lead for the Practice, and David Petrell, Principal. Both Mike and David bring their years of experience in healthcare and physician alignment to our discussion today. Welcome, Mike and David. Every spring, we get all of these reports of the activity that's been going on. Mike, David, anything you want to comment on in terms of what we're seeing in the landscape of private equity in the physician practice landscape?
0: There's a lot of activity for good reason. We're seeing a lot of change in the sense of driving care to lower cost sites, to new innovation in care models and the way in which we deal with a potentially challenging workforce model historically, and how do we become more digital and use virtual technologies to create a delivery model and an outreach model to care for patients. It's a lot of innovation happening for a lot of good reasons. The underlying challenges is the cost to deliver care continues to rise and we're not seeing increased payments. So there's some inherent conflict in some of the future opportunities related to private equity and investments in the space.
2: Jamie, healthcare has historically been a cottage industry. What happens in Columbus, Ohio is different than Cleveland, is different than Tuskegee or wherever you're at. And within that market, there are multiple providers of care who are doing everything a little bit differently. And now as the healthcare industry has begun to consolidate in order to protect themselves or to maximize their profit, what we're seeing from private equity is just the business people are looking and seeing the dollars that are being generated and say, wow, we can do that too. And in fact, we've been doing it in lots of other industries for a long time. Let us bring that expertise to bear in healthcare. We in the healthcare world have kind of invited them into our universe. So here they are.
1: Here they are. Yes. And now that they're here, what kind of pain points does that cause for our health system leaders?
0: Uh, David, as I think about it, it creates fragmentation or competition depending on the perspective. You've got a new entrant in your market that's caring for a portion of the population that you historically served or you were trying to serve. Are they a pure competitor? Do they fill a gap that you would have otherwise not been able to fill? Do they become a partner? What their role is in your community becomes potentially a challenge or an asset, depending on the perspective.
2: Yeah, it's new and different. Anytime new and different comes in, we get concerned about that. They're consolidating. So the vast majority of private equity is focused on the outpatient arena, which is where healthcare in the country is moving because of its lower cost. We have health systems who are trying to respond to the move in the market as a whole. And now you have a disruptor coming in and golly, this is going to be different and it's going to be terrible if we don't do something in response. But is that really the case? You can partner with a private equity group just like you could partner with a group of independent physicians they're going to be a different type of partner and not probably as friendly from a business standpoint because they want to maximize their profit. But it doesn't mean that you won't be able to provide the service. It'll just look a lot different.
1: Knowing that you've said that every market is different, David, what are some of the different responses that you're seeing to the influx of private equity and some of the markets you've been working with?
2: Well, the first response is to say, oh, this is terrible, and things are never going to be the same. The measured response is, what is the threat to us? What is our economic threat? If we lose GI or dermatology or whatever the private equity focus is, how much is that truly going to hurt us? Do we want to go out trying to consolidate on our own? Do we want to have, in essence, a competitive offering with the third-party equity folks and try to say, look, don't go with those strangers from Wall Street or whatever financial area.'" they're from. Come with us. We've been your friends forever. The first reaction is mild to severe panic. The second reaction is try to categorize the threat from an economic standpoint and a future standpoint going forward. And third is what are we going to do to counter this threat? If it's significant enough that we're concerned about it, what can we do to offer an off-ramp for these folks who are considering this?
0: Anything to add, Mike? The inherent part of competition starts with potentially the transaction. And that's where a lot of the conflict comes in. The private equity model doesn't have to play by the same rules as the health systems. They can pay more for the practice. They can use traditional business valuation principles that don't have to follow stark and anti kickback. don't have to fit within that framework. So the physicians, the owners are going to get an upfront payout that's bigger. That's the brutal reality when you're looking at this. It's hard for health systems to say, if we want to partner, if, if we want to be part of this consolidation, integrate these practices, these services into our system of care, into our model, we can't offer these owners the same amount on the front end. That's where the conflict starts.
1: Getting in front of this is important and building those relationships. What are some of the things that business development can be asking the docs to understand where their pain points are? How can they work more closely with them to get in front of this?
2: Staffing is a huge problem now for the health systems, but what can you as a health system do to help the physician on the staffing front? Do you have a better offering, better access from a staffing issue? Unfortunately, most of our health systems aren't really adept at running a physician practice from the business standpoint. The back office function isn't what they've historically done. So while you can offer management services type offerings, most of the time, those aren't particularly effective. It's almost a losing argument. Hey, we'll come in and run your practice. Well, thanks, but no thanks, right? The guys who run a business who are doing this in 38 different markets and six different states are gonna be better at that than you. The biggest factor you have is a relationship factor. If you got a doc or a group of docs who are interested in just the dollar, as Mike just said, you just can't compete dollar for dollar for them. You've got restrictions, but if what you're trying to do is have a relationship or build a strong relationship, lean into that a little bit and start talking about some of the things that you can help them with. Staffing, I would argue would be the first and foremost that. Casually mention the fact that our network and our contracts would be advantageous to have you part of that.
0: I think the business development challenge is understanding the trade off. Inherently, what that individual is trying to do is maximize the volume that the health system can achieve from the community, from the partners in the community, physicians sending patients to their facilities, using their facilities. The entrepreneurial physician, funded either with private equity or even just independently, is going to create competition for some of those services because what they're going to need to do in their business is compete directly with the health system at some level. The question for the business development team to really figure out is, are we willing to seed a portion of these services to this independent practice, to this group so that they can be successful? And are we comfortable that everything that they can't do, we're going to be their preferred partner? And can you position yourself for that? If you can be their preferred partner for everything else, is that going to work for you? Because going head to head and competing is, there's enough war stories out there and fired CEOs to say that maybe that's a challenging direction to go down.
1: Does it make any difference if it's a younger practice group versus an older practice group?
0: Maybe more established, and let's talk about size. A larger group inherently is going to be more inclined to have multiple health system relationships. They're going to be more of a typical splitter group. And then the sort of demographics of the practice are going to say, you've got physician owners that have been in this practice for a long time, or they're going to really look for that cash out, that exit opportunity. And you've got younger physician partners or employees that have a very different perspective of what they're looking for long-term. The larger the group, the more complex it's going to be to immediately roll them up into private equity because you've got different perspectives around what that future opportunity looks like. The smaller groups are probably easier to roll up to either into an employed model with a health system or into an established private equity model in that market. But the private equity group is not going to start with the small group. They're going to look for how do we get one big group or how do we consolidate and create a critical mass? And then we'll add small groups over time. That's their playbook playing out in most markets.
2: That's the ticket, right? If you're a private equity, big is good. More and more docs and more and more volume of whatever it is that you're acquiring is the key to success. If I have more and more physicians, I'm able to access different types of financing. I get a better interest rate if I'm a private equity guy. So it's all about growth, growth, growth from that standpoint. And it's all about volume, volume, volume in terms of doing more stuff to generate the revenue. Those things in and of itself are what makes private equity successful. It flies in the face of the whole value-based idea. Mike, your perspective would be great on this. If you're in a market where there's lots of at-risk contracts where the physicians are at risk for the cost of health care, I wouldn't expect to see a lot of private equity activity in that market simply because it flies in the face of what they need to do to generate a bottom line. Since most of the world is functioning on fee-for-service still, despite Medicare Advantage and MSSP and all those CINs and cost control efforts, those markets are few and far between.
0: I think there are niche players from private equity space that want those type of risk-based markets. They want to consolidate lives. Their angle is more around taking insurance risk and effectively disrupting the insurance companies. To your point, though, the dominant private equity activity is in traditional fee-for-service It's consolidation. It's consolidating fragmented physician groups and services to create leverage in a market to drive two things. Improved revenue via better negotiating rates with the payers. So they're absolutely trying to extract better fee-for-service rates from the payers by getting larger. There's no question that's part of the strategy. They're trying to decrease the cost to deliver the care. They're trying to look at operating costs, supplies. They're trying to get really focused around sort of the resource utilization aspects, which is a pretty typical business principle that any private equity firm would deploy in any industry. They're going to go in and try to create a leaner operating system and structure to improve margin.
2: I was just thinking, if you're the physician practice, the vast majority of physician practices, they get their billing services. They're located in Cleveland and their billing services is coming out of somewhere else. To a large extent, there's not a big change for them. And now their staff is getting a paycheck that has a different name on it. But largely, it's the back office function that's invisible to most practitioners And so what's the big deal? My bills now are coming from this private equity firm that has a big data center or billing center somewhere else. Well, that's what I've been doing for the last 20, 25 years. That's what we've always done as a practice. We stopped doing billing in-house eons ago. From that perspective, it's not that much of a change.
1: So what do you advise health system leaders to do in response if private equities come in or if they're trying to come in? How are you working with our clients today in this space?
0: The number one thing that every health system needs to do is to make sure that their employed model is sustainable and that the physicians are going to be satisfied within that employed model, because that's going to be your number one defensive strategy to retain physicians in your market. You don't want these groups that you've built and invested a ton of money in to potentially disintegrate on you or have physicians look at alternative options in the market. It's stabilizing the employed medical group and really focusing on the physician relationships that you've built already. So you have a strong foundation. Number. Number two is determining where you're going to play. David mentioned, some of these specialties that frankly don't have huge hospital influence, dermatology, ophthalmology, some of these specialties drive potentially some nice ASC activity, but they really don't in a meaningful way impact how you run your hospital. The points of conflict are going to be in those specialties that you need to have the right call coverage arrangements for, and then some of the higher cost procedures, orthopedics, general surgery, et cetera, that are going to be consolidated or the private equity is going to see an opportunity to pull procedures out of the hospital and build an ASC presence and drive some incremental value that way.
2: Yeah, if you saw large plays in orthopedics, you need to react yesterday. If you're listening to this, you understand the value of orthopedics to your health system, vis-a-vis dermatology, okay? Dermatology is wonderful. We need dermatology, but if my orthopods go away from me, that would be really bad. We have at SG2 have been working on and suggesting for quite some time developing an ambulatory strategy. That's where healthcare is going. What are we doing in response to these quote, vulnerable industries? And by vulnerable, I mean largely independent. And orthopedics is at the top of almost everybody's list. What are we doing to align with those orthopods to get them as, quote, loyal as we can? They don't generally want to be employed. We have to figure out a way to partner with them in ways that are valuable to them, and we have to make sure that our relationships are as positive as they can be. But at a bare minimum, you have the orthopod who walks into the office and says, just want you to know we're talking to XYZ private equity firm so that you at least have a chance to respond.
0: That pluralistic approach, we hear that a lot of the times, right, David? I mean, it's rare where a health system can say we're only going to have one type of model to work with our physicians. Just moving towards a dominant employed model is going to be challenging. The reality of where healthcare has moved is most physicians in your market will likely be employed at some point. They just may not be employed by you. As these aggregator groups get larger, they're likely going to be employing physicians. You will be competing for new recruits in your market that will choose your medical group or one of these other groups in town, and they will be evaluating the pros and cons of working in either model. That's what the data suggests. More than 75% of physicians today are employed, and that's only going up. The strength of these independent groups is going to be, can they outcompete the health systems and the hospitals and their markets for new talent? You've got to find a way to partner with them at some level. But when there are cases where you're going to be competing directly, it's incumbent on you to offer a better option within your medical group that's more attractive and can earn those new recruits and talent that needs to come into the market.
2: And we need to remember, everybody is in sales. If you have an employed cohort, and virtually everybody does, of physicians, you want those physicians to be leading the charge in terms of convincing their independent colleagues, this is a place that you want to support, i.e. our health system. They're doing it right. They're physician-friendly, whatever it is. The guys in marketing in the, in the C-suite and such, it's too late to come in and, oh, we really loved you all these years. We've, it hasn't been very effective at showing it. If you've got your employed physicians being cheerleaders for you and saying, yeah, they do it well, they listen to us, we're part of the team, that is incredibly powerful with most physicians.
1: So, what's the long term end game on this? How much longer can this private equity train keep moving at the pace it's going?
0: They're going to be far more vulnerable to the state of the economy. Private equity will slow down as access to capital or the interest of capital in this particular space starts to change. Healthcare has been, relative to some other industries, a more value option. There's recognition that there's a tremendous amount of waste and disruption that can potentially be redirected in the form of a new delivery model that creates better profits. And that would accrue back to the private equity or the company. We're going to see a lot of these new companies, this private equity activity failures. We're going to see markets that groups have partnered with somebody and that company that was intended to help this physician group, it's going to go to business. It's going to be no longer profitable, or it's going to merge with something else and change the terms of that partnership. So we're going to see failures in this space. It's going to impact physicians in a negative way on a local level, and then they're going to look for alternative options. We're also going to see some winners. There's going to be some of these disruptors that will stand the test of time that will weather potentially the economic downturn and will come out stronger on the back end. There's no question it's not going to be universally applied across each market.
2: It will inevitably increase consolidation on the health system side. What's your best protection? i limit the number of independent docs who can go somewhere else. I want to be bigger and better. And the key for many health systems is the better part. Anybody can go out and write a big check. Bring Dr. Fafondo Fon in the door and this will be great. Now the question is, how are we going to effectively manage and run our employed medical group? Can we afford to be losing X hundred thousands of dollars every year per physician? answer that is probably not. It's certainly not the long-term business play by any stretch of the imagination. Consolidation has got to increase. That's the classic response is if I buy them first before the other guys get them, then they're mine and I don't have to worry about that. But we always will come back to the business fundamentals of how do we effectively run this practice and can we do that?
1: David, I've also heard you talk about private equity is really at odds with the overall goal of value-based care. Any thoughts on how those two start to resolve or where we go with that, given the fee for service versus the value based care component?
2: Yeah, that is going to be fascinating because the reality is most of our health system members aren't really excited about value-based care either. They're recovering from the pandemic, and fee-for-service sounds just great for me because I missed out on millions of revenue for the last couple of years. Yeah, that's an issue, certainly. If volume, volume, volume is what private equity needs and consolidation are two key components to success, that means doing more and a lot more. That also is what many of our health systems are thriving on as well. That's the big fight at the global level. Government, employers, consumers are trying to say, hey, this is just too expensive. Mike as a Canadian. I don't hear about private equity flourishing in Britain or in Canada where the payment system is significantly different than what we do here in the United States. I don't think that's by accident. It doesn't matter. You consolidate all you want. This is what you're going to pay or this is what we're going to allow you to do in those two countries. But here, it's still the wild, wild west of healthcare. When our health systems are concerned, they're not saying this, and certainly I wouldn't say it to them this directly, but I'm really concerned that I won't be able to do as much volume as I want at the prices that I want because these other guys are gonna do it a little bit more efficiently than me. So how do I prevent that from happening? The big limiter on all this is the payment model. You
0: mentioned Canada and other countries. It's hard to make money off of a physician practice as an outside investor because the physician wants to drive the profits that they earn based on the efforts that they provide and the value that they're bringing to the table. An outside party taking a piece of the profit doesn't really sit well with most physicians. Where do these companies need to create value? They create value on the secondary things that the physician can generate, whether it's those procedure sites, it's imaging, it's lab, it's therapy services, it's the things that become tangential to the core activity of the physician. That's where the value is created. I don't think these private equity firms have fully figured out how to pay physicians differently, incentivize physicians differently. I think they're struggling with a lot of the same things that health systems have been struggling with. They've just got a little more near-term upside with this ambulatory shift that David talked about to create some value. And really they're swimming downstream with all of this volume wanting to move into the ambulatory space, with the payers pushing it in that space. They're taking advantage of that activity, but at some point we're gonna get closer to an equilibrium of where volume should sit in a given market, and then there's not a lot of growth opportunities. It's really about management, discipline, and it'll be interesting to see if that's where we start to see some exit strategies exercised.
1: Mike, you've got some research that you've started looking at really the volume impact, right, and the utilization impact of private equity. Do you wanna talk a little bit about where that's going?
0: As part of the work we do and some of the claims data set that we have access to, we're trying to trend the impact of some of these groups in certain markets. What we can certainly see with ambulatory shift is these groups are consolidating and they're investing in ambulatory strategies that will compete with health systems. No question about that. What's the number one question that we're trying to understand is, does it have a real meaningful impact on inpatient share? Because health systems become ultimately paranoid around losing that inpatient volume that they get from physician groups. And are they in a position to gain or lose shared based on the activities of these groups? At this point, we don't have any conclusions in that area yet.
1: So Mike, David, what are the three things that each of you think that leadership should do in preparation and response to private equity in your market?
0: I'll offer one and then I'll let David chime in. The first thing is the importance of having a strong employed medical group, one that you feel confident can compete in the market for talent so that you can recruit and retain physicians and that you have a plan in place to improve the operating performance of that group to minimize the subsidy so that it's not so reliant on the subsidization of the activities across the health system. There's an importance of growing and maintaining a strong employed medical group, I think, is the most both offensive and defensive thing you can start to do. David, I'd love to get your sense.
2: The other thing I would mention is what is your ambulatory strategy? What are you doing in the ambulatory market where lots of our healthcare is moving to be an effective player? And how do you respond to the opportunities, threats in that ambulatory setting? If you're talking surgeons, you're talking GI folks, what's your ASC strategy? It's wildly profitable for an orthopedic surgeon to have a surgery center. And now that you can do joint replacements in a surgery center and outpatient, it's even more profitable. What are we doing in response to that? What's our toolkit that allows us to partner with our physicians in a variety of ways? And then the next thing is there should be someone in your shop every day who's thinking about physician relations. You need a physician relationship person that has their finger on the pulse of what's going on in the local community with your docs. What what are their pain points, what do they need, and then having a discussion of what are we as a health system going to do in response to that. At SG2, we like to think we can be very helpful in those areas in terms of sizing up the threat from a market standpoint and looking at our really stellar data and then taking that information and rolling it out to actionable plans in the community. And all that rolls back up into the effective medical group that Mike's been talking about. I always like to say it's better to play offense than defense when it comes to this. And that means doing those three things that we just mentioned and being ahead of the game as opposed to calling up in a panic and going, they're doing this thing to me. How do I now respond?
1: Mike and David, thank you for sharing your expertise and perspective today. I know our audience is going to appreciate all that you've shared and even learning about some of the upcoming research that you have in this space as well. And thank you all to our listeners for your time and attention today.
0: Thanks so much for listening to SG2 Perspectives. As always, I really value your feedback, input, comments, or ideas for episodes, and you can reach us at SG2Perspectives at SG2.com. Additionally, I recommend that you check out some of the other Visiant podcasts, which cover a range of clinical and operational areas.
2: Those can all be found at Visiantinc.com backslash podcasts.